We're going to focus this morning on thinking about how the church began to grow. In the early church, how did Christianity, how did the church begin to grow in numbers and spread throughout the world? Now, when I was young, my grandparents had a pond in their backyard. And when we weren't in the backyard fishing, what we often would do is pick up rocks and water and we could entertain ourselves for hours. I don't know what it is about kids, rocks, and water, but that's all they need to keep themselves entertained. At least it was when I was a kid. I didn't need a phone or a tablet. But we would often try and skip rocks, see how far you could do it. But one of the things that we would do is we would take not a small rock, but the biggest one we could carry, and we would try and throw it into the middle of the pond and see how far the ripples would go out from it. If you've ever been at a still lake in the evening and thrown a rock or seen something splash in the water, you've seen that that one thing causes a trickle effect, a ripple effect all around. In history, there's certain events that have had this ripple effect throughout history, the biggest of which is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection have been an event in human history that continue to spread and have an effect on all people across the whole world today. So how did Christianity spread in the early church? How did a movement of God that started out with just a handful of people, and as we're here in Acts this this morning, a, a few thousand, how did it spread to hundreds of thousands to now millions and billions of people a couple thousand years later? Scholars who have studied the early church have, have said that in the first couple chapters of Acts, as we've looked at it in, in the day of Pentecost and in other events, is there was public proclamation, kind of evangelism, that thousands of people were converted. And said after the first few chapters of Acts, there's no signs of public evangelism like this for nearly 200 years. How did a movement go from a few thousand people in Acts chapter 8 to by 200 AD, a couple hundred thousand followers of Jesus? How did it happen? It happened because in the early church, evangelism wasn't some program, wasn't some event put on, but evangelism was the lifestyle of each and every person. The church was the church, and they went out to be the church. As one scholar looked at it, the the early Christians gossiped God to the world. They gossiped God to the world, and that's how Christianity spread. And as we look this morning at Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to to turn there. Acts chapter 8. We're going to discover that just as it was in the early church, it is today, for the church to grow God's people must go. For the church to grow, God's people must go. For the church to carry out its mission to reach the world with the love and the message of Jesus, it requires not a new program, not a new event, but it it requires each and every one of us to go to the world and to share the message of Jesus with others. Well, Acts chapter 1 started off and kind of gives the summary, the overview of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So far, we've looked in the first seven chapters of the gospel going out through Jerusalem. 
And we've seen Peter and the other apostles have a great witness. Last week we heard of Stephen standing up in the face of persecution and dying for his faith. Well, what happened at the end of Acts chapter 7 and into chapter 8 is as the persecution was rising in the church, the believers started to scatter. The believers started to scatter. And in Acts chapter 8, we start to see the gospel move outside of Jerusalem and now to Judea and Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick it up at verse 26. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so we're introduced to Philip, who's been the main character throughout chapter 8. Philip was one of the deacons that was appointed in Acts chapter 6 to help the apostles carry out the work of the ministry in Jerusalem. And upon the persecution, Philip is scattered out. And we're told that he heads north of Jerusalem to the city of Samaria, and God uses Philip to preach the gospel, to show signs and wonders, and people become followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel is spreading to Judea and Samaria. But God now instructs him through an angel to go south. He was north, now heads south to this road, approximately a 50-mile road on a stretch from Jerusalem to Gaza that is in the desert. Verse 27 says, And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We're introduced to the other main person in our text this morning, this Ethiopian eunuch. And we know several things about him from the passage. First, we see where he's from. He's an Ethiopian. This would be in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Cush, or the Cushites, which we see in Exodus and all the way through the Old Testament. It's approximately a thousand miles south of Jerusalem, and what today would be modern-day Sudan. So these are known in biblical times, these are dark-skinned African kingdom, is what the, the Ethiopian lives in and represents. He's a eunuch or a court official. Those were common for, for a court official to also be a eunuch at that time. And so he was a man of significance. He served under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This was, the, the history shows us, this was the dynastic name given to queens who reigned in this country during this time. He's not just any official in the court, he's a powerful man. We see that he was in charge of all of her treasure. He was the man in the whole country who was responsible for the money that came in and out. We see his significance in the fact that he's making this five-month journey, not by donkey, not by walking, but by riding in a chariot, something most people wouldn't have during that time. But we also see that this Ethiopian eunuch somehow, we don't know how, but had been exposed to the God of the Bible. And he was in Jerusalem, not just on business, but he was in Jerusalem to worship God. And we see that, that he's, a, he's seeking to follow after God because as he's on his way, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so verse 29 tells us this, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. 
This morning as we look at this passage from Luke chapter 8, as we look here at, in Acts 8 is actually the first of three conversion stories that we're going to be looking at the next three weeks in our series. We're going to notice today three essentials for outreach. Three essentials that fill up models for us in this first person-to-person evangelism story that we have recorded for us in the book of Acts. The first essential for evangelism is to listen to the Spirit. Is to listen to the Spirit. See, Philip probably was confused as to what God was doing. Because he's gone north to Samaria, God's using him in a great way, and an angel says, go south to the desert. And he's like, but there's no people down there, right? You're sending me to a desolate place, and I'm doing great ministry here. He could have had excuses for why he should stay, but he went. And then as he went and followed God's leading, listening to God's leading in his life, again, the spirit moves him. The spirit tells him, now go to this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, and talk to him. There are so many cultural and racial boundaries that in Philip's time would have and could have stopped him from approaching this man. They were from different countries. They were different ethnicities. They were different race. They were from a background of, he would have just assumed probably a different religion. They were in different occupations. These are guys who would have never met otherwise. And every excuse that Philip could have had, he doesn't look like me, he doesn't talk like me, he probably doesn't think like me, everything that he could have made an excuse for a boundary, he overcame because he listened to what God was doing. As we listen to who the Spirit leads us to, oftentimes it's to people who don't look like or talk like or act like us. And if we've understood the gospel, we've understood that one of the essential outflows of the gospel is that God has broken down the boundaries that our world would set up to divide us and created for him one new person. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. And God has overcome every boundary that our world would set up. But so often in our witness, the Spirit prompts us and we set up boundaries. I don't look like that person. I don't know what I would talk to about them. It may get awkward. How do I strike up conversation with them? The Spirit overcomes the boundaries that we would naturally put in place to share the gospel with others. So Philip twice responds to God's leading and goes to where God guides him. And so how do we in our lives today follow the same thing as Philip? How do we today in 2018, how do we remain sensitive to the Spirit? If you're a believer here this morning, I think this is something that we all want to be true in our lives. When God says something to us, we want to know it, and we want to listen, and we want to obey. So how do we remain sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our lives? First, I think we need to ask God. We need to ask God to cultivate in our hearts a sensitivity to who he is. And specifically when it comes to the people that he would have us reach out to to share his love with, to ask God to create opportunities and avenues for that to take place. I don't know about you, 
But I've been so encouraged and thankful the last year as Pastor Ed has challenged us to have a map and a list. A map of your neighborhood and the people who live around you and a list of people in your lives. And his encouragement has been, hey, pray for those people. Pray for those people. You know what I've found in my life? That as I start praying for the people in my life, suddenly God is opening up opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them. Now here's the thing, those opportunities were probably there before. I was just missing them. Because I wasn't praying for these people, I wasn't looking for ways to minister and to show the love of Jesus to them. And as we ask God where he would lead us, God opens our hearts and starts to move us to other people. Friends, believe it or not, but Christmas is less than two months away. Right? There will be so many opportunities in the upcoming weeks to invite your family, to invite your friends, that you'll have people into your house. Start asking God now. Start asking God for wisdom, who you should be praying for, who he would have you share the love of Jesus with in this upcoming season. First, we start by asking God. Second is this, we need to slow down. Sometimes in life, we need to slow down. One of my favorite verses, which I need constant reminder of in my life, spread throughout the Old Testament, is be still and know that I am God. Be still. Sometimes our human busyness, even in good activities of carrying out the work of ministry and family and job, get in the way so God doesn't have a window to to talk to us in our lives. So often i found that when I need something from God, I go and I read my Bible, I tell God what's up in my life, and then I leave. And he's like, hey, did you, did you want to hear what I had to say about it? Friends, so often the pace and the busyness of our lives, we don't even slow down and take time to listen for God. God wants to speak to his people. God wants to lead and to guide us to others. But if we're not slowing down, If we're not taking time to be still and listen to him, we will miss those opportunities in our lives. The third is this, to cultivate humility in our lives. To cultivate humility. I found for me that the more self-focused I get, the less spirit-filled I am. The more self-focused I get, the less spirit-filled I am. And the more I live my life thinking about what I want, what I need, what I should do, the less I'm thinking about what God would have me do, and the less I'm thinking about what other people would need me to do for them. So cultivate humility in your life. Acts of service, acts of gratitude, pray for humility in your life. Fight pride. Pride clouds our judgment. Pride often stops us from listening and hearing the Spirit in our lives. My friends, God, if you're a believer this morning, God wants you to share your faith with other people. If you're like, well, I prayed and the Spirit's not leading me to someone, well, keep praying because he's going to. And it's my hope that we would remain sensitive to who God is leading us to where he's placed us. The first continues as the Philip goes and he runs to the chariot. It says this in verse 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? 
And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The second essential for outreach that we see modeled by Philip in this passage is to look for their struggle. To look for people's struggle in their lives. To look for the struggle that they have and to go and to meet them where they are. For the eunuch, it was he was reading the scripture and he wasn't understanding what he was reading. Now, I hope and pray that in my life and for most of us this morning, we would say this. All right, listen. If God after church today leads me to someone sitting at the bus stop and I walk up and that person has their Bible open reading out loud, I hope I would be able to say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Right? That's a pretty low risk evangelism strategy. We're like, I think we all could get that. Most opportunities in our lives won't be like this. But here's the thing. Philip saw the Ethiopians struggle. Is he was seeking after God through the scripture and he wasn't being able to find him. For us, we can look for areas of loss, of hurt, of brokenness in the lives of people around us and we can bring the gospel to bear on those situations. One of the the, the things that's been very helpful to me is the book um, by Randy Newman called Questioning Evangelism. And I love uh, what, what this author does and what Philip does here is he leads with a question. Randy Newman's not questioning evangelism, like should we or should we not do it? His answer is yes. But it's how to ask good questions and the power that questions can have to open up avenues to share our faith with other people. And one of the things that he emphasizes in his book is this, that rather than thinking of evangelism as a script we need to follow with people, when we start to ask questions, we're just seeking God's wisdom and leading in our interactions with others. Oftentimes, it's as we look for people's struggle and we ask the questions in their lives that God will open up avenues and doors to help us be able to share the gospel with them. A while ago, I was, uh, I was here at church and a lady came in to see me and she sat down across from me at a table and I said, you know, I introduced myself and Pastor Michael, what, what, what can I do for you today? Why are you here? And she looked at me and she said, I don't know why I'm here. And I was like, well, I don't know either. Right? So, so but that was it. So I was like, okay. So, so I began to ask her a little bit about her life um, and her background, and she shared with me just a lot of, of hurt and brokenness and, and pain and trauma that, that she had gone through in her life. And all the while, I'm thinking, all right, there's no script for this. I don't know. And so I'm just constantly praying, all right, God, I need help. I don't know what to say here. I need your wisdom. And so I ask her about her religious upbringing. I ask her what she thinks about God. And she gives me some very vague answers um, that, that are kind of very open-ended. And then I took a risk. And I looked at her and I said, listen, I, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. But I just want to ask you a question. Do you have peace in your life? And she stopped and looked at me and said, if I had peace, why would I be here? And I open up the Bible to Romans chapter 5 where it talks about how we can have peace with God. And we read together from Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I, please don't, I'm not the model for this. I don't get this right every time. 
But there was a time where I took a risk and asked a bold question and God used it to open up the doors where a woman was able to read God's word and see what Jesus had done for her. Friends, the people around us are lost, they're broken, and the gospel has something to say to them. So look for where they're struggling. Are they struggling with purpose, with their identity, with relationships, with success, with happiness? Look for where they're struggling and help to ask questions to bring the gospel to bear in their situation. So Luke records that that Philip asks this question and he replies by saying this, this was the passage, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This eunuch is reading from Isaiah chapter 53. This is part of verses 7 and 8. This passage that describes in its context the suffering servant. And we see here that that this servant was one who suffered silently. He was one who suffered humbly and whose death was an injustice. And so this is the text that the man reads to him. And then the Ethiopian eunuch follows with a question. He says, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Oftentimes in the book of Isaiah, the prophecies refer to either Isaiah himself. Sometimes they refer to the nation of Israel And oftentimes they're looking forward to one who is to come, to someone to come in the future. And so the eunuch asks Philip this question. Philip's response was that he opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. In the book of Acts, when someone opens their mouth, it means they're about to proclaim the gospel to someone. It's a sign for what is to come. He opened his mouth and proclaimed the gospel to him. This verb here, told him the good news, is literally the verbal form of the word gospel. The gospel means good news. And as one commentator put, what did Philip do? Philip gospeled Jesus. He gospeled Jesus. He said, let me tell you the good news about Jesus. And he led him to an introduction to who Jesus is. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? It's clear that he understands what's going on and that he wants to follow Jesus. And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now I have to stop real quick there and say, if you notice, we went from verses 36 to 38. And in your Bible, if you're looking, you think I skipped 37, you're like, why isn't it there? If you have most modern translations. Now verse 37 is not in most of our modern translations. When the first English translations were were translated, it was using different manuscripts. And in more ancient manuscripts now, we found that most translations don't have verse 37. What does this scandalous verse 37 say, you might ask? Well, you can look in your footnote. It's the eunuch saying, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Not too scandalous, right? There's nothing hidden from us in this story. And so the the eunuch would confess his belief. They come down, they are baptized. Verse 39, 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The third essential for outreach that Philip models for us is to lead them to the Savior. To lead them to the Savior. You listen to the Spirit. You look for the struggle in their life where you can bring the gospel to bear. And then you lead them to Jesus. You bring them to the Savior. Salvation is found only in Jesus. And if we try and proclaim good news to our world, but we don't get to Jesus, we haven't proclaimed the good news that they need to hear. I love that Philip starts with this scripture. He starts with this text in Isaiah 53. We don't know where he went. Maybe he just stayed in Isaiah 53, a text that is all about Jesus' coming and his death for us as a sacrifice for sin. We saw last week in the life of Stephen how sometimes the the evangelists would use um, Jesus and they would show from Abraham all the way through the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. All of scripture is about Jesus. But I love that, that so often in the book of Acts, as people are guiding others to Jesus, they're using it through the means of scripture. Friends, the word of God is one of the most powerful tools we have in sharing our faith. The word of God is powerful. Scripture is the inspired, powerful word of God. So when you're sharing your faith with others, use it. Use it. I hope you've memorized parts of Scripture, but even if you haven't, and even if you have, Oftentimes it's helpful, rather than you explaining to them some of these gospel passages, just open up the Bible and have them read God's word for themselves. Friends, when we lead people to Jesus, we often, as the Philip did, we should start with scripture. Lead them to what God's word says and then guide them to Jesus. It's as the people of God share the word of God that the spirit of God moves people's hearts to the son of God that they may become children of God. So often we rely or we think we need to rely on our methods of communication and our words to change people. But friends, it's God's words that change people. It's the Holy Spirit that changes lives, not us. Your words aren't alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word is. Your words aren't a lamp to people's feet or a light to their path. God's word is. Your words are not God-breathed. This word is. Your words are not true and flawless that will always accomplish what God's desires. God's word is. And it's as the people of God share the word of God that the spirit of God opens people's hearts to the son of God that they may become children of God. Friends, our world needs Jesus. People need Jesus. As if we didn't need reminding of it, we saw the events again this weekend. The tragic reality of living in a world filled with sin. And as we long for the day, well, Jesus will come back and make everything new. Until we wait for that day, he's given us this mission in this time to share the love of Jesus to our world. And if you're here today and you have not yet met Jesus, 
I pray today that you would. That your search for meaning and significance in life would come to the cross and see that that's where it can be found. That your search for peace in life would lead you to Jesus. That the joy you've been looking for is found only in our Savior. That the satisfaction you want is in Jesus alone. The forgiveness that you need can only be found through him. The freedom from your bondage is not something you can do on your own, but only something that God can do in your life. For the believer here this morning, what's stopping us from sharing our faith? Every study that I can find on evangelism says that it's near consensus amongst evangelical Christians that we believe that we should share our faith, yet the majority of us will share our faith with zero people this year. Why don't we share this message? Why don't we gossip about God to our worlds? For some of us, it's fear. That we, we sit back and, and rather than risk something, we hold back afraid of what the consequences might be. I hope you're encouraged as we look at the early church and see that for them to share their faith wasn't just risking their reputation, they were risking their lives. But it was worth it. It was worth it to risk their lives for the message of Jesus. Oftentimes our fear comes around the idea of, well, what if I go and I listen to God's spirit, I look for their struggle, I ask them a question, and then they ask me a question back that I don't know how to answer. Friends, we so often have been paralyzed by the fear of questions of people that we've missed opportunities to share the love of Jesus to them. I love what the Ethiopian eunuch asked for Philip to be in his life, what he needed. In verse 31, He said, how can I do this unless someone guides me? Unless someone guides me into understanding how can I do this on my own? This word guide is the same word that Jesus used in parables talking about someone leading a blind man. Who can see? It's it's someone who's just guiding someone else. It requires no expert knowledge or expertise. It's someone who can guide them. Can I just encourage you this morning that your neighbors, your family, your friends, the people that know you, they don't expect you to be an expert at evangelism. They don't expect that from us. But what I would encourage you this morning, what people need is what you are, and that's a guide to Jesus. People need someone who knows them, who loves them, who cares for them, who can simply guide them to Jesus. Think of it this way. If you have friends or family who are coming and visiting the Chicago area for the first time, most likely you're going to try and take a day off of work or take a weekend to go and to show them some of the sights of Chicago. And if you're like most people, you'll come down, you'll go to Michigan Avenue, you'll go down to Millennium Park, maybe you'll go to Navy Pier because we all know the only time anyone goes to Navy Pier is when tourists are with us. You'll probably take them to some popular restaurants, but you're, you're not just anyone, you're a guide. And so you're going to take them to your favorite spots. Hey, this, is, this isn't where everyone goes, but this is my favorite little hole-in-the-wall coffee shop or restaurant. It's cash only. It's got to be good. This is where, where my family likes to go on a, on a night off. 
This is what we do. And you've guided them through something because you have relationship with them. You have love for them. And I doubt that they would leave and think to themselves, man, you know what we really needed? We needed an expert. We needed someone who could walk around and tell us the history of every building in Chicago, tell us every single thing that we needed to know, and that would have made our trip better. No, they didn't need an expert. They simply needed someone to guide them. My friends, our loved ones, our family, our friends aren't expecting us to be experts. I thank God that there are experts out there. But in our world, where there's so many know-it-alls, Randy Newman, who was interviewed, this same guy who wrote um, Questioning uh, Evangelism, he says this, the, the answers I don't know or I need to think about that can be some of the best evangelistic lines we can say in a day where people are tired or skeptical of know-it-alls. It's our neighbors, our family, they don't expect us to be know-it-alls. But we have enough knowledge of Jesus that we've seen his goodness in our lives. We've seen what life was like before Jesus, what Jesus did for us, and what life is like after Jesus. We've seen what Jesus can do in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can guide people to Jesus. For the church to grow, God's people must go. For the church to grow, God's people must go. So my question for you is, will you go? Will you go? Most of us think it's important, but most of us every day don't do it. We don't listen to the spirits leading us to our coworker, to our neighbor, to our family member. We're not looking for people's struggle. And unfortunately, if we're not doing that, we're not leading people to the Savior. Friends, the gospel grows in our world. As the church becomes the church and lives out their mission of the church 167 hours of the week when they're not here. My prayer is that this church would grow, not just in depth of God's word, but because each of us would go out and we would share the love of Jesus to the people that we live with, to the neighborhoods that are represented, to the workplaces, to the family members. That God would use us to spread the gospel throughout the world. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning for Jesus. God, and the change that he can make in each and every one of our lives. God, this isn't easy. This will require courage. It will require us to rely on you. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to listen to your spirit, to respond to who you're leading us to. God, may this church, may we hear more people being led to the Savior that we may give you glory, that you will receive the honor and praise that you are worthy. God, our world needs this message. You've given us the message of reconciliation. May we have the courage to take it to our world. God, for anyone this morning who is far from you, who doesn't know you, this morning, would they come to the open arms of Jesus? Realize that all the love, the joy, the peace, the meaning in life that they've been searching for is only found in you. We worship, we praise you this morning. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.